When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Melissa Rivers, and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Group Text. This is a really exciting week for women. Yes, we are looking at a woman, not just a woman, a woman of color on a national ticket, Kamala Harris. So joining me to discuss all this is Ariva Martin, author, award-winning civil rights attorney, talk show host, commentator, and as of right now, she went to college with Kamala. She says, we're going to get all the scoop. J.D. Fuller, a friend of the show who is a civil rights activist, a therapist, and what should we say? person around town. There you go. And Elena Morgan, assistant professor of history at USC. Welcome, ladies. Sabrina's here, too. We've got an all-woman panel. Good morning. Good morning. I just want to make a quick correction. Please uh, Kamala, do. Uh, Kamala and I didn't go to the same college. We have been friends since college. She went to Howard University, and I went to college at the University of Chicago but we met on uh, while we both were in college and we have remained friends since those uh, college years. So I, I appreciate that correction. As a lawyer, it's important that we get the facts right. I always, just want to make sure. Always the always, facts. Always the facts. <laughs> Elena, I'm going to start with you. Can you put what is happening into a historical perspective for me? Yeah. Um, first of all, just... Thanks so much for having me. I'm a huge fan. I was a, also a huge fan of your mom. So oh, thank you. Like a, you know, a dream for me. Oh, low bar then. Very low <laughs> bar. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to start by saying, right, this is, a, is an incredibly historic moment, right? There's no question about it. However you slice it, whatever you think about Kamala Harris, right? Um, she's African-American and Asian-American woman. Let's not forget the Asian-American, right? Because a lot that drops out a lot. Um, she's the daughter of immigrants. Um, and just some stats, right, to put it into perspective, there's only ever been three female major party vice presidential candidates ever, right? Geraldine Ferraro in 1984, Sarah Palin, in t- 2008, uh, yeah, Oy. and Harris now in 2020. What a what a change, right? From from 2008, that's three in 100 years of women's suffrage, and in 100 years of women's suffrage, only one of these women has been black or Asian American, and that's Kamala Harris, right? Um, I think about this, uh, and I think that this is absolutely to be celebrated. Um, because for, for black women, the most loyal base of the democratic party, right? They asked for a black female vice president and got one, 
Um, so to me, this is about the recognition that historically black women have held the Democratic Party up. And so often we are taken for granted. Um, and the other thing, you know, that I think almost goes without saying is um, that representation matters. And I think about myself as a little girl and I think about all the little black and Asian girls now who are like, oh, this is totally normal, right? Um, and I think about how critical that is. Um, it's even more important when we think about this year. It's the 100th anniversary of women's suffrage of women generally being able to exercise the franchise. And I think that Kamala's presence on the ticket is extremely important when you think about the fact that Black women were not at all embraced by white suffragettes. Um, white suffragettes- I didn't know that. Yeah. No, they were, Black women were not, in 1920, when they were doing all that, Black women, Black men couldn't vote. So it was an issue. I'm sorry, Elena, carry on. No. I just had to throw that, I had to throw that in. Yeah. I mean, it, absolutely, right? They wanted to distance themselves from black women because they needed to get the white Southern vote in order to get the amendment passed, right? And um, the black male vote at this time was already suppressed through Jim Crow, like Sabrina said. So it didn't matter to their platform. And so black women were fighting before 1920 and they've been fighting since 1920, right? Um, and so I think this, this it's time, right? Um, I do want to, I think, caution over enthusiasm um, about Kamala Harris, right? I think that this is, that it's okay that she's in this position. Um, I think it's okay to be excited about this pick symbolically, but we need to move, I think, past symbolism in order for change to actually happen. Yeah, JD, um, I want to actually ask you, because we're going to come back to sort of the historical perspective. JD, um, you know, it's this thing I've been thinking a lot about because how much of a role, we know how much of a role sexism plays in politics. How much is it going to add that now we're going to be dealing with racism and sexism? Uh, well, you know, it's a, it's a double whammy. I mean, first of all, she is African-American and Asian. Depending on who you talk to, uh, we'll emphasize which one we focus on. For Black women, she's a Black woman. All respect to the, her Asian part of herself. We're not denying that. But at the same time, it's so important to have representation. Um, as Elena said, you know, the idea that an African-American or a Black woman is up in this position is huge. But it's also uh, a double-edged sword because does that mean the predominantly of the white women who support patriarchy are going to solidify their vote for the predator who's in the office now? Um, or are they going to align themselves with the female uh, to make a new statement in this era? You know, we saw what they did last time. So it's very curious as to what they'll do this time. I think it's hard to predict from last time because, I mean, Hillary Clinton was so disliked and still so disliked by so m much of America. I guess I just wonder how much of that was her being female. You know, I just I just think about if she was a white male, would she be so disliked? I, I struggle with that. I, I don't well, think. Well, think about the fact that we still see Bill. They still push him out there. And God knows he's had his trials and tribulations, but he gets out front every single time. I don't think that he's nailed to the wall quite as much as Hillary is. Yeah, you know, point. think about that. I agree. Ariva, is, is you know, 
Kamala, is she ready for this fight? I mean, she comes out swinging every time. And that's what I personally love about her. It, it, I feel like she could be an honorary yeah. river. She does not hold back. You know, she's calling it as she sees it, and she is not holding back. I, uh, is she ready for this kind of a fight? Because I felt like with Obama, Biden, they used to call him the enforcer. He went and did the dirty work so Obama could always look good. He's the one that went and knocked heads together. And I feel like part of this pick and part of what their working relationship, why it might work, is because she is not afraid. Yeah, I think she's been preparing for this probably most of her adult life. I, I think she couldn't be more ready for this. Uh, I think she you know, has demonstrated that in every election that she's won. Uh, if you follow her career, particularly her uh, role as attorney general for the state of California, that was a very, very, very difficult race. Uh, it was uh, a nail biter. Uh, it was down you know, to counting every last vote. She was up against a very prominent, very popular uh, district attorney, uh, Cooley, uh, who was the district attorney for the Los Angeles County, which is much bigger than San Francisco, which is where she had been the DA. Uh, so she had to fight tooth and nail uh, to win that position in the state of California to be the first African-American woman to be the uh, attorney general for the state of California. Uh, she's been the first pretty much in every job that she's had, the first district black woman district attorney in San Francisco. So I have no doubts about her ability, and I think you're right. Biden chose her in part because he has watched the way she has taken on Trump, the way she's taken on uh, his administration in her tough questioning in some of those Senate hearings where we've seen her go after Brett Kavanaugh. You know, we've seen her uh, go after some of the judges, the incompetent, the unqualified uh, federal judges. I always feel like she's using sort of the subtext is always one of Sabrina's favorite sayings is, are you stuck and stupid? Yeah. I mean, I always no. feel like that's the subtext. Yeah. No, no, she, she's, she's most qualified for the job on so many different levels. I didn't want to comment, though, on what J.D. said about the uh, white women commitment to patriarchy. Uh, one of the, the things I've been doing recently in COVID-19 is having these amazing conversations like the one you're having today uh, with women and, and, and newsmakers. And I had a conversation with Jane Elliott, who is like the, you know, nation's leading anti-racist, uh, 75, 80 year old white woman who's been talking about anti-racism, you know, back before it was popular to do so. And in a conversation with Jane in an interview, she said, look, white women vote their pocketbooks and they vote their pocketbooks as based on what their husbands, you know, uh, direct them to do. And not to say that they're mindless and don't have a brain, but that they often are going to vote in alignment with their best financial interests as defined by their husbands. So I'm not so certain that what we saw in 2016 was all about hatred for Hillary as much as it was about you know, protecting their financial status. And we could see that again because Trump does have that very massive cut uh, tax you know, bill that gave massive cut uh, tax breaks to wealthy people. So I think we've got to be incredibly vigilant, uh, diligent, and, and work harder than ever. Uh, and not, as Elena said, allow our, our enthusiasm over Kamala's pick to blind us from the work that needs to be done every day until the election. I yeah, agree. take that enthusiasm and walk it to the ballot box. I agree. But you know what? This was the same attitude that we had during that election with Trump. That's how he slipped in because everybody thought it was just an automatic win 
for Hillary, even though there were so many people that didn't like her. You know, I think that that totally worked against her. Well, so I think, I think you're lot, absolutely right. And but I think what a lot of people did with Hillary was just not vote, rather than didn't want to vote for him and didn't want to vote for her, so just sort of went hands off. Or they voted for him in secrecy. Come on well, now. Well, that's we talk Come a lot on about. Now. The, Come yeah, on. no, we talk a lot about the embar- what I call the embarrassed Trump voter. I I, I go go along with JD. Those women had to follow their husbands, which is surprising because women now are very often the primary breadwinner. But that's a different podcast. That's a totally different one. Um, Looping back to uh, what we were talking about, uh, Black women carrying the Democratic Party. Um, Sabrina, I know you had, had some thoughts about that. Well, you know, it's often said that Black women have carried the Democratic Party on their backs Forever. How important is it that they are finally being recognized with a candidate on the national ticket? I mean, we've had Shirley Chisholm, but that was of her time in her era back in 1972. But here we are today, you know, after post George Floyd, all these different things that are going on. We're in a very heightened season of, um, I guess, racial sensitivity, awareness, whatever you want to call it. What do you think about that? No, I I think you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. I think, and we saw that in the very aggressive, very uh, sophisticated campaigns that were launched both on social media as well in traditional media, where you had African-American women all over this country speaking up, writing op-ed pieces, uh, doing, uh, you know, social media posts and saying that this is our moment, that this is the time when black women should be recognized because we have carried the party, we've always punched above our weight. So even though when you look at our numbers in terms of our absolute numbers uh, and our percentage of the democratic voting block, we may not be the largest, but we have always been the most consistent and the most reliable. And we saw that, uh, I read a piece where Doug Jones in Alabama, you know, it was African-American women in Alabama that carried him across the finish line and to win that Senate seat in Ruby Red, Alabama. He was jumping for joy when Kamala was on the ticket because he knows that if he has any chance of retaining that seat, it's going to be because he needs to get record turnout uh, of African-American voters in Alabama in the way that he did when he first won that seat. So I think Biden, and I think we have to give Biden a lot of credit because he made a a big, bold, audacious uh, selection and he knew what it would mean. And not just for this election, he knew that he would be setting up a black woman to be the the leader of the Democratic Party and to carry the mantle forward. So now, uh, you know, soon to be VP, VP Harris is not just going into hopefully the White House in January, but she will be set up to be the top pick for presidential candidate if Biden doesn't run for a second term, or even if he does run for a second term. So she's going to lead our party for the next 12, possibly 16 years. And that's pretty incredible. Well, you know what? It, it's interesting because I, no disrespect to, to Kamala, but they were throwing Karen Bass out there big time. And so I was like, wow. So I I thought that that was probably a huge thing. You know, it was, and so in my mind, I was thinking, again, not going through their credits. It's like, would Kamala be more acceptable? You know, is is she more palatable, if you will? I mean, I'm I'm just, I had to have that thought process. JD, what do you think? Sabrina, I'm with you. You see me jumping out of my seat over there. I'm just saying. (laughs) 
you know, look, here's the thing. I, I think Kamala is great. You know, her history as attorney general has been um, challenged by a lot of African-Americans. There's a lot of, you know, controversy around it. But even Sean King says, look, she's come a long way. She's evolved in her thought process. And I have nothing but respect for her. But we always have to think about the fact that we live in a racist society. And it, we always have to look at what's palatable, what's more palatable. It's the reason that the majority of the people identify Kamala as African-American and Asian and um, Caribbean. I mean, they can't get more ands in there if they tried because it just homogenizes the, the visual aspect of it much more palatable for, for America. My other question, though, going back to that, and I guess this is really for you, Elena, is so we've had, though, which I think is very interesting, especially historically, we've had other women in powerful political seats like an Amy Klobuchar saying, I'm stepping out because this is what we need. And I know Biden's been talking a lot about building bridges is whether they win or not, fingers crossed they do, is part of this, are we seeing finally a historical shift from the from the white, male, older patriarchy that we're seeing someone stick out their hand and begin to build the bridge to the next generation, especially in a multicultural way, and seeing someone like Amy Klobuchar, who's you know, a white woman, but in a position of power, say, yes, this is what we need. Right. Um, so, I mean, honestly, the way that I think about this, I, I mean, I think that there is a, a fair amount of hands being extended, right, particularly to Black women, because let's be serious, like I said, and like we've been saying, Black women hold up the Democratic Party, and we often just get crumbs, right? The Democratic Party often does not um, think with Black women in its interests, right? And so I just want to, you know, emphasize how important this is. But at the same time, I think that I would disagree with the assertion that I think Ariva uh, made that this is somehow a bold or audacious selection. I think that going into this, um, this selection process, um, we knew it was going to be a Black woman. Maybe Tammy Duckworth was being thrown around, right? But we knew it was going to be a Black woman because... Well, Biden also came out and said he, that's what he was going to do. Right, exactly. Right. Um, so we knew it was going to be a Black woman. I think that Kamala is not a necessarily an audacious selection. I think that she is palatable to the majority of moderate Democratic voters and to the party, right? Because what we see is that we're, and this is some of my pause about her, and this is why I want to caution people to be not be overly enthusiastic about her as a pick, because while it is incredibly important symbolically, um, we have to really kind of look at who she is, right? And as we've noted, right, her time as AG was um, controversial, um, to say the least, right? Um, we're in a moment right now where people have taken to the streets. We're in the 12th week of protests, right, about the killing 
of African-American men. People are taken to the streets amidst a public health crisis to demand change, to demand jobs, livable wages, racial justice in the form of police accountability and reforming the criminal justice system and dem actually demolishing the criminal justice system, right? Not just reform. And in the form of healthcare for everybody. And I think that there are a number of black women, right, who could have stood for any of these things. This is kind of the zeitgeist of the moment and they didn't pick one. And I fear that the reason is that this is another bone uh, no doubt that Kamala is absolutely um, well-qualified, incredibly intelligent, comes out swinging every time. Love to see her in a Senate hearing, right? But um, I fear that the reason is that they don't care about these things and that they're trying to distract from the fact that the movement on the ground is saying, get defund the police, put money into other things, um, get rid of student loan debt, we want health care, Right. Um, and, uh, you know, she very much is a mainline uh, Democrat, right? Her Obamacare plan, I mean, her Medicare for all plan is basically Obamacare relaunched, very pro pharma, very pro insurance company. Pharma is one of her huge donors, right? She supports a very narrow student loan forgiveness program, right? And the big one, while well, when she was AG, she supported policies which disproportionately placed black men in prison for minor drug offenses, made parents criminally liable for their chi child's truancy. I can't tell you how much that scared the shit out of me. Right? Working parents, working parents, right? Who were just trying to make a living. I mean, so, um, and then, you know, didn't sign on to legalizing, um, to uh, legalizing marijuana, right, until I think it was like 2017 or something like that, right? And kind of... Um, Which, by the way, every person who had a teenager living in their house for the last five months bought into. <laughs> I believe that legalizing of marijuana actually say it, it saved a lot of people a lot of <laughs> anguish <laughs> but that's just my take on it yeah I, I don't really understand these attacks I, I think they're just baseless at this point at, at this point yeah we could sit here and tear down her record no this is not about everything. not to be disrespectful this is not this is not tearing down her record we well, truly believe can I speak? Yes, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Okay. absolutely. Okay. Well, and then I have a I question was... for JD that is on a completely different topic. But, but go right. ahead, well, Ariva, it, it please. It feels like it's a tearing down of her record. And yes, you could do that for every candidate that was on that 12-person list. And back to the statement that, you know, this isn't audacious. Well, there are millions of Americans who feel like it's very audacious. And if you think back to where the primary started and who was the loudest voice in the Democratic Party, it was really progressives. And progressives weren't in favor of Kamala as the selection. And there was lots of thought being, or lots of, of energy and efforts being made to have someone like Elizabeth Warren or someone who was considered to be more progressive uh, selected for the ticket. So I don't think it was a foregone conclusion at all. And if you talk to any of the people who were on the vetting committee, it absolutely wasn't a foregone conclusion. And, and it's audacious because it not just makes her the first African-American woman, but it sets her up to be perhaps the first African-American woman to be president of the United States. I think what Elena was trying to say, and I, I and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that as wonderful and amazing as she is and that she's on the ticket, she's going to have, her record is going to make her 
sort of vulnerable to these different attacks and that we cannot be complacent that anyone is perfect. I'm in total agreement about not being complacent, uh, but I, I think it's not fair when we start talking about the record. Uh, if we're going to have that conversation, let's go back and talk about Joe Biden and the crime bill of 1994. And I think right now, Americans don't have a lot of patience for this because we have a binary choice. We have Donald Trump or we have Biden and Harris. And we can, we can find everything that Biden and Harris hasn't done that we believe is progressive enough and our option is to have four more years of Donald Trump. Now, does it mean that, you know, I agree with everything Biden and Harris have done in their entire political careers? Absolutely not. And should we remain vigilant? Uh, should we remain, uh, you know, uh, persistent in holding them accountable for policies that work for middle class and working class people? That's what I do all my life. I've been an advocate for underserved people my entire life. So I know the struggle in making those of policies real in this country. And absolutely, we should continue to fight. We should continue to march and we should hold their feet to the fire. But right now, we have two choices in this country, four more years of Trump or Biden and Harris. And I think we've got to be about the business of getting them elected. And at the same time, yes, let's hold them accountable. But when we tear down her record, we play into the hands of those people you talked about, Melissa, who didn't vote. And a lot of people don't vote because they'll latch on to some information, a lot of it which is misinformation that's being disseminated by, you know, Russians. And we've gotten that, you know, that's been uh, substantiated in many reports, yes. And they latch on to that information and either they won't vote uh, or, you know, maybe they're going to cast a vote for Kanye West or, or something oh, like that. Oh, dear God. Which is Don't even Donald get Trump. me started on that. J.D., you're jumping out of your skin. I am because I, I don't think the debate is whether or not it's audacious or um, it is not audacious. I think the idea is that it, it was a strategic move and it was a smart strategic move. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's equally important to talk about the things that other people are going to be concerned about. I'm not concerned about it. I know where my vote is going. I can't I do not want to do four more years in this hell. So. I think a lot of people feel that way. I think we have to figure out how to get people who don't normally vote to vote. That's what it's about, really. That's really that's truly the bottom line of where we were coming from. It totally no disrespect to Kamala or you, Ariva. It wasn't about tearing her down or just throwing. The point is, like JD is saying, this was strategic. But we need to know that you're going to put your money where your mouth is. We damn sure don't want Trump in. Trust me when I tell you that. But we have to really be about change. It just can't be about, you know, putting people out there in front. But and there's also, you know, as Elena was saying, we have to also be realistic of what they're going to come at her with. Right. And again, I go back to not being complacent. One of the groups that we haven't talked about that I think is important is she pushed through gay marriage in California. Are we going to see a mobilization of the gay community? Because she was an AG who did that. And that was a big, bold move. Or is that going to become a strike against her? I think it was amazing. But is, is there a base that's going to turn around and say, way too much? We have a woman of color. First of all, we have a woman. We have a woman of color. And now we have a woman who supports gay marriage. Is this going to just, I mean... Is that is it that going to be a bridge too far? I, I don't think people are going to really know that or talk about it. I think the people who will, uh, who should get on that bandwagon and make it known are the same white gay males who got gay marriage pushed through. I think it's important for the gay community to come together and figure out that they need to move mountains to make this happen. I mean, it's really important. Look, I don't think we can talk enough about 
you know, the, the wife of the patriarch, the woman who supports the patriarchy. There's a lot of, that, that's very secretive. It's not something we talk about. And I think we have to expose it to have honest conversations about that's where an important vote, vote lies. That's as important as the person who doesn't vote. And look, if Angela Davis comes out and supports Biden, we are in an era of great importance because she rarely supports anyone. So I think it's pretty amazing that she's come out and support this ticket. And we need to expose more of the strengths in that way, like the people who are coming out of nowhere to vote. I think that's really important, as important as understanding the things that may be, that may be a, a weak spot for her. We know it's not a real weak spot, but it sure is what the opposition's going to use. Right. I mean, we can't live in, we can't live in a bubble thinking... You know, they're all going to be like, oh, great pick. Congratulations. They're going to go in to tear it down. And this takes me back to, you know, the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. One thing I'm loving about this is we're seeing so many strong women's voices coming through loud and clear. It feels ridiculous to me. Finally? You know, 100 years? Come on. I mean, we really should be be more on the ball. What do you think is the re- the resistance to women in leadership positions? I mean, what what is the why? Why historically are voters resistant or people in this country resistant to women in positions of power? I mean, I think we've got such a huge historical scope to look at in this one election. Well, I mean, I think that it's misogyny. I mean, 100%. I mean, that's like the very simple answer to that question, right? I mean, to put it in very long historical context, um, you know, I mean, if you want to take it back to the 15th century during kind of like the exploration of the Americas, right? Um, Since the enclosure of the comet, for labor, for the control of labor and the reproduction of labor, women's bodies make money right and so that's why shouldn't that give us more power it should give us more power but it means that that power needs to be harnessed right and so and that's why right when we look at early early modern europe early america acting in a manner that was stereotypically unfeminine right what does that mean refusing to listen to men uh, refusing to get married not having children, right, by choice or by abortion or by medical condition, not submitting as a slave to your husband, your father, your brothers, right? Any one of these things could get you declared a witch and burned at at the stake, right? We all remember learning about the Salem witch trials in school. And what we didn't learn is that it wasn't just illogical hysteria. Women who refused to know their station were a fundamental threat to social order, and they still are a fundamental threat. To social order. So coincidentally, right, the things that could get you burned at the stake in the 17th century are also things that in 2020 can get you denounced in a Twitter rant by the president, right? Example, Kamala Harris is disrespectful to Brett Kavanaugh and Joe Biden, right? And Hillary Clinton's a nasty woman, right? And the president is not alone in this, right? AOC was just in, you know, an F and B and out of her mind, to Ted Yoho when she simply stood up for something that he was against, right? These women are just doing their jobs. But but, but here's the thing. It, yes, yes, it is misogyny. I, I agree with you completely. But it's also racism. And we can't, we can't separate the two, it's particularly in this race. Mm-hmm. 
you know, the idea that um, affirmative action benefited white women more than it did people of color um, is, is relevant here. You know, the idea that um, you combine racism and misogyny and you have a very expensive, uh, it's what pays for capitalism. You know, it's expensive in terms of the integrity of our society, but it's also very, uh, it's part of capitalism. It's what make cap makes capitalism flow the way that it does. So I, I don't know, is it, you know, what is what is more potentially hindering to the process of moving forward? Is it misogyny well, or is it racism? Well, that's gonna be, which is going to play a bigger role, sexism or racism? I think sexism is going to play a much bigger role. I mean, I, I'm not, sh I'm not sure, you know, I, I mean, like, I, I think. I mean, we have had a black president. Right, but just because we but we haven't had a woman president. Right, but just because we've had just because we've had a black president, I, like I think that again, right, and this is what I, I was talking about, and I want to just kind of get back to um, kind of what JD was saying, but also um, I want to get back to like this idea of symbolism, right? Just because we had a black president doesn't mean that racism is less of a problem than sexism. I one hundred percent agree with you, JD, that. Um, this is about, right, that the intersection of these two things is critically important. And that's what we see when we look at Kamala Harris, right? And that's where, you know, I kind of was going at the end of this, which is to say that when you look at the conjunction of the two Black women's bodies and Black women and their actions, right, and their records are critiqued much more than white men. Now, I support critiquing everybody's record and I just want to go back to kind of what we were talking about before for a brief second because I I do, truly do disagree with this idea that we should not critique Kamala just because Biden isn't being critiqued in the same way critique everybody critique every single person on on the like on the stage right now I want people to be pushed forward and I think that the thing with Kamala is, is that she is a politician, right? So she, I think, um, could be responsive to a grassroots movement um, that says, listen, we don't want the criminal justice system anymore. And that's why we have to keep on pushing forward and making what we want known and making sure that our demands are recognized, right? And that's not disrespect in any way if you put yourself up as a candidate not disrespect but you know it doesn't represent the t entirety of the democratic party so I, I recognize what you're saying about grassroots movement but grassroots leaders and i happen to be one of them are not are not monolithic in terms of what they want so there's there's a lot of internal uh you know conflict in terms of what the progressive agenda looks like so when you talk about holding her to some kind of progressive agenda, we need to be clear about what that progressive agenda is because uh, there are many voices in the progressive agenda that don't support mm -hmm. uh, some of the policies that I, I think you're putting forth. So we have to be clear about that as well. There's great diversity amongst progressives. Well, speaking of grassroots, I'm gonna take a little bit of a turn. And this is one of the things that I saw that I loved and I know Sabrina and I were talking about it. The importance to the HBCU community with Kamala's uh, nomination, but also this movement coming from her sorority. And was it AKA, yeah. Alpha Kappa Alpha? Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's that correct. I don't <laughs> think people understand, and maybe, maybe, or maybe you can explain it, the importance of that 
and the widespread power of this particular sorority. I mean, Sabrina and I were talking about it. I belong to a social club, which was basically a nice way of saying a secret society that drank a lot. So we don't have this huge national base. But these traditionally black sororities and fraternities on college campuses are really powerful and their network is really powerful. And you you combine that with the HBCU community, that to me feels like grassroots on steroids. Oh, you're so right about that, Melissa. And we've already seen them engaged, uh, as you said, not just the sororities, but the fraternities uh, and the historically uh, Black colleges throughout this country. They have made it very clear that they are going to engage in, you know, an incredible voter uh, turnout, voter registration, and and getting people to the polls. I actually interviewed a a young woman. She is at Howard. She's a bison. uh, And she's been doing voter registration on college campuses uh, since the primary, uh, and she said once uh, Kamala was selected by Biden to be the running mate, she saw this just dramatic increase uh, in registrations, uh, level of enthusiasm amongst younger voters, many of whom she said, quite frankly, had been apathetic, uh, that she had had very difficult times getting even engaged in the process. Uh, but they they see someone that looks like them. They see someone that could be them. And she represents to them the future. Uh, and she said college students, you know, in the, the campuses that she's been working on, she thinks are, are going to have, you know, Obama 2008 kind of turnout and that Kamala is going to be the, the candidate that can help bring together that coalition that we saw uh, and have record uh, turnout amongst African-American voters. So not just women, uh, but college students, but black men in barbershops and, you know, black women who uh, saw their their son in Barack Obama now see their daughter uh, in Kamala Harris. So she was incredibly uh, enthused about the selection and thought it was going to do a great deal in increasing uh, voter participation uh, at college uh, campuses across the country. And I was I was reading, or I, I mean, and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, that AKA has a network of something like 300,000 women 300, across 000. the United States. Yeah, and, and multiply that by the other, like I said, Greek sororities and fraternities. So you're talking about millions uh, of people, both at the college level, and then they have alumni chapters. So they're not just on college campuses. These are professional women and men out in the community uh, who, and uh, most, you know, a lot of these communities are very influential voices. Uh, so when you think about uh, you know what this does again a, another element that we haven't seen uh, in terms of our democratic politics so super excited about all of the diversity and that's when I looked at the I just want to segue to the convention the last two days have just been incredible you talked about someone mentioned AOC uh, Stacey Abrams Robert Garcia uh, the woman who met Joe Biden in the elevator. Going I love that last New York night. Times. Didn't that give you goosebumps? Oh well, my it reminded God. me of my mom. Like that's yeah. something my mom would do. Yeah, she right, takes Sabrina? that selfie, it goes viral, and it was amazing. I also I also loved, and then I want to take a turn I, for the shallow because let's be <laughs> honest, that's my lane. Um how how important was it? And I love John Kasich. I'm a Democrat, but I love. I'm actually an independent, but I love John Kasich. I love that he came out and said Republicans need to do this. I love what the Lincoln Project has been doing, saying to Republicans, you need to move. I thought one of the most important voices last night was Colin Powell. Vastly important. Do you think he'll have any effect at least moving the, some of the military that's very pro-Trump? 
I mean, possibly for the military, but I, I don't see him as uh, influential, influential in the uh, African-American community at all. I think for, for military, it could be a stronghold, which is, we need that. I mean, that, that's excellent. But I, I just wanted to add what Reva said about the HBCU. I mean, you know, overlooked is, is, is uh, an understatement for what happens with HBCUs. You know, they're not given the respect, acknowledgement, the money, the athlete, athletes, they're not given anything that regular college, that, that mainstream, not regular, mainstream colleges get. So this is an incredible, um, you know, like punch in the arm for them in terms of exposure and who, who you can produce from an HBCU. I think it's really important. So, but in terms of Colin Powell, yeah, you know, hopefully it's the military. Well, I thought it was, I mean, I just thought it was one Can of the I most- Can I go shallow, Melissa? You talked about being shallow. Okay, did you like John Kasich's outfit? Not particularly. Okay. And I thought we, I thought we, but I like John Kasich. You can't, you can't fault, he is who he is. I thought it was a little too on the nose standing at the fork in the road. <laughs> but I've always actually been a John Kasich fan. I don't agree with everything, but I think he's a sane, logical human being. But yeah. okay, shallow. Let's get let's let's get honest. Okay, Sabrina's I, gonna get so annoyed at me. <laughs> okay. okay, it's all right. She is married to a white Jewish entertainment attorney. I love that. Is that gonna go ahead, Sabrina? Do you think she's gonna take some heat for that? I mean, I think that women, I think that um, people take heat for being in interracial relationships. But wait, let me just say this because I'm also in an interracial marriage. So I can speak for this. Black women take more heat than black men when they date outside their race. So I'm really curious if people are going to hold her to a different standard. Because I can tell you, people have taken me to task even to question my blackness. Mm-hmm. Trust me, I'm black through and through and nothing no one's going to say or do or who I marry is going to change that. But I I wonder for her if if they're going to take her to task for that. I really do. Yeah. She's not black enough. She can't really, you know, she doesn't know the struggle. You know, people come up with all these things attacking in the attack mode. People look for every little thing. So I wonder what what are you what are you ladies thinking? I'm, I mean, I'm in an interracial relationship too, right? So I like understand how, right, that uh, gets directed at black women as well, right? And, and and I think that it absolutely is going to happen. And I think unfortunately it's going to happen from a lot of people in the black community, right? Because it, there, mm-hmm. there's this um, double-edged uh, sword, right? That um, black women at what we were discussing before, right? That black women in particular need to bear that it's this double whammy. So she is going to get critiqued for being um, not black enough um, and maybe too black and we can't, right? But maybe it's not time for her, right? And, um, you know, I mean, I think that these concerns are, I mean, she's going to- It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous because people forget that we have fathers, we have brothers that look like us. So we haven't just dismissed who we are and them just because of who we married. JD? Look, uh, I have to look at it always from the psychological perspective and through the mental health lens. We have to understand where, in terms of the struggle of African-American women, when, and I've been in interracial relationships, I understand what you're saying, the difficulty and how it's perceived and the slack that you get. I'm not minimizing that at all. But I also think it's important to understand that 
when a community who is experiencing genocide sees people, what psychologically appears like leaving the struggle and taking an easier road, you know, it's felt like. Apparently you've never been around an entertainment lawyer, especially (laughs) a Jewish one. Ain't so, ain't so easy. <laughs> but I mean, through, through, you know, the, the black experience, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's it, every chance that, that we feel picked upon is real for us. You know, mm-hmm. and every, every, every opportunity where we've been put, pit against each other, we have to understand that's the historical content in, in America. We've been raised to turn on each other. So, and racism has ensured that we continue to do that. So I think we have to look at opportunities to figure out how to join around these things as opposed to separate around them, because that is what dominant culture has worked towards, you know, our entire existence. Yeah, no doubt. She's already taken hits. When she ran for president, there was, you know, Twitter, uh, Twitter uh, trolls and, you know, vicious attacks on her because of who she married. But if we're going to say that, you know, love is love, and we're gonna support gay marriages. How dare us in this country try to undermine or suggest that just because someone's married to, uh, you know, it, or involved in an interracial marriage that somehow they're not fit to serve. This is about service to, com- to the country, not about, you know, who she sleeps with. She's married, she has two stepkids. She meets, checks every box in terms of what every man in this country that has run for office has done and probably above and beyond. So. I think it's a non-starter. There are going to be some people, and Sabrina knows this, having, you know, being in an interracial marriage, there are going to be some people that roll their eyes or make, you know, hurtful comments. But at the end of the day, uh, their voices will be muted, I think, by the millions and millions of people that recognize that she is incredibly qualified and that this is the ticket that gives us at least some hope of changing the direction of this country and getting out of this complete hellhole that we've been in under Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, I agreed. Agreed. In the end, as long as Black Twitter's on board, we're in, we're in good standing. <laughs> <laughs> and they've come around. They were hard in the beginning, but they've yeah, come but around. They found their way. <laughs> yeah, I think that maybe that's true, Ariva. But I, I do. I think that the critiques, uh, any critique of her that has to do with her family um, and who she's chosen to marry and who she's chosen to love, is utterly and completely inappropriate. Um, and no, I agree. I agree. That's why we say, you know, Baron is off limits. So, you know, the yeah. presidential kids, uh, their families are, are typically off limit. But in this election, nobody's off limit. So we know uh, they're going to be subject to vicious attacks, uh, not just the, the husband, but the stepchildren, the dog, the cat, the bird, anybody in her sphere. So uh, we're prepared for it. Isn't that awful that that's where we are, you know? It's pathetic that that's where we are. Um, again, back in my lane. So back in the shallow end. Back in the, the shallow, shallow end of the, the pool. Sh- the I went. And I swam pool. around in the deep end. I'm swimming back to the shallow end where I can walk around with a cocktail. Got it. Um, she's been rocking the pantsuit. Yes. Yeah. Do we think she's going to stay pantsuit, or are we going to maybe see some some skirts and tops or separates? What do we think? Ariva, you know her best in this. In this. Uh, we're going to see a lot of pantsuits. Uh, she's conservative. You see, I mean, she's always been. She hasn't changed. Her Senate attire looks like her AG attire. Is look, looks like her district attorney attire. She's, you know, a, a pretty conservative dresser. Simple string of pearls, small pearl earrings, simple pantsuit. You know, they may get fancier. 
Speaking of fancy pants suits, uh, Bernie Sanders, I, I say, was rocking the Armani uh, on Monday night. By the way, whoever does Bernie's hair for the debates and last night, they do a great job. Oh, good. He, he killed to look it. At, no, he, he his hair like was like a corporate lawyer last night. Yeah, and he know, had like his hair was good. He didn't have like drums sure. on his tie. No, straight Armani out of sacks. I'm like, Bernie, that doesn't look like the revolutionary wardrobe. What's going on here? Exactly. <laughs> Do you know who's getting a lot of uh, plugs? The necklace that Michelle Obama wore. Yeah, vote, the vote. That is was one of the local uh, jewelers here in um, Los Angeles, I believe it is. But, oh my God, if Obama, uh, Michelle was running for president, I'm telling you, hands down. It would just, we wouldn't even have to go to the polls. Well, Ariva, you're rock, you're rocking the chocolate brown. I know, very very chic. So I've started a betting pool. Feel free to jump in <laughs> on which designer she's gonna wear. Come on, because I'm assuming they're gonna win. So I'm thinking for the swearing in, perhaps a simple Chanel power suit. You know, mm. very very you know a little bit on the feminine side, but still conveying power. And I'd like to see Brandon Maxwell, very classic with a twist of modern for the inaugural balls. So that's where my money is. So my money's on Kevin Hall. My money is on Kevin Hall. He's a black designer here in Los Angeles. He's dressed Angela Bassett. Oh, you've worn Kevin. Okay, I've worn yeah. him. And by the way, Kushney, Kushney could jump in here. Kushney could, uh, but I've introduced Kevin to the team and I, I'm betting on Kevin because he could do that same power, but feminine suit, both pants and skirt, and he can do a knockout a ball gown because he dresses celebrities like you for the red carpet. So I'm thinking, keep it in California, keep it in LA, keep it close to Brentwood and keep it African-American. I like keep it close to Brentwood. <laughs> <laughs> um, everyone, I cannot <sighs> tell you how amazing this discussion has been. I hope we can continue to have them for the next 80 days or so. Um, just as a woman, it's amazing. Well, we have to come back again once they win. Yes. You know, it's the power of attraction here, ladies. Get yes. on board. When come they on. win, we'll come back. We'll have a cocktail, mocktail hour, whichever suits you. And swim around in the shallow end of the pool. Yes, we'll start <laughs> to strategize. That's right. Start oh, yeah. to strategize how we can keep this all going. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you.